you glad you came this morning? Amen. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, team. Thanks, youth choir. Great job. Oh, man. I love these Sundays uh, because it gives us an opportunity to just celebrate, to worship, to give thanks to God who impacts lives uh, through what God is doing uh, in missions. And I'm, I'm often guilty of being so focused on the future, so focused on moving ahead that I can often forget how important it is just to stop and reflect and be grateful. And so I want to share some uh, pretty cool things uh, that are happening all over the world. We've been partnered with uh, India Gospel League with the Bojpuri uh, people group. And uh, over the last few years, we've seen 16,000 children come to faith in Christ in these tribes in India. 30,000 children in discipleship programs amidst the Bishpuri people. And 60 new churches have been planted because of our collaboration. Let's bless the name of the Lord. It's a tough country. Uh, India, 90% Hindu, 9.9% Muslim, less than 1% everything else. And so we love what God is doing in and through uh, India Gospel League. Uh, we also have a long-standing partnership in Ukraine with Peter Marchenko and Transformation Church and also Rich Carell with Church Planners Training Institute. And so I want to share some amazing things that have happened uh, through that collaboration. Uh, we have seen 16 new churches planted in the Ukraine over the years with our collaboration. Uh, Peter Marchenko Transformation Church, I believe, is on their ninth church plant. And they plant churches amidst uh, uh, disabled people groups, refugees, and impoverished people. And so we love what we're seeing there. Collaboration with these local churches have helped plant seven drug rehab homes. And what's amazing about this is Rich tells me he gets his most courageous church planters who come out of these rehabilitation homes. They come in with nothing. They receive Christ, experience Christ, and feel like they've been given a second chance and have everything. And they're willing to even go to the occupied territories in Ukraine and plant churches there and amidst refugees. And so let's bless the name of the Lord for what he's doing through the rehab homes. Uh, I, this past year, this collaboration has seen 472 people baptized in the Ukraine. Staggering. And so we, uh, we praise God for that. Now let's move on to uh, Cambodia, international campus in Phnom Penh. This year we saw 57 baptism and uh, weekend attendance has doubled in a year up to three hundred on a weekend and so we praise God for that a very difficult place to minister Pangrango Indonesia in one of the most intolerant cities to Christians 37 baptisms and 230 are coming on the weekend this is unbelievable And then here, uh, a little closer to home, we want to be on mission as well. And so 58 people 
were sent on global trips. 80 students went on domestic trips. Over 7,000 bags of food were packed through hand-to-hand serving vulnerable communities. I was told also that this equated to roughly $40,000 donated in food for the marginalized. Over 1,000 hours mentoring through Kids Hope USA, which is about 20 hours per mentor, and I was told 15 of our Kids Hope kids went to camp. Can we just take a moment and celebrate what God has done in a year? In a year. I wish I had time to talk about all he's done in the last 30 years. That's just in a year. It's unbelievable. And what I love about these statistics is that behind every statistic is a face, is a person created in the image of God. And one theme that you will see through missions at Central is that we are standing with the vulnerable. We are standing with vulnerable people. And I believe it's because we are compelled, we are inspired by the heart of God, God's heart to stand with the vulnerable. And so what I want to do is I want to open some scriptures today and I want to share about how God's heart bleeds for the poor, for the marginalized, for the vulnerable. Now I know the Psalm series is over, but the missions pastor didn't get his chance to talk about the Psalms, so I decided to extend it another day. And you will find all throughout the Psalms this massive theme of how God's heart bleeds for the vulnerable. Psalm 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 25, Psalm 41, 72, 82, 103, 140. You want me to keep going? I hope you wrote all of those down. You can look at them later. But where I want to be is Psalm 146. Psalm 146. We we see God's heart captured so beautifully and And what we find often in these scriptures is what the theologian Nicholas Westerhoff calls the quartet of the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. You will see those four put together so often. Psalm 146 says, blessed is he who help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Let me stop there for a second. This feels like a calling card. Hi, I'm God. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Now this is something that I hate about traveling so much because you meet so many different people and that dreaded question always comes up. It's inevitable. So nice to meet you, Micah. What do you do? Please don't ask me that question. I don't know who I'm talking to. Half the time I don't even know how to answer because I don't know what I do, okay? And so I've had to learn how to get creative with how I introduce myself and tell people what I do. So this is what I do now. Say, Michael, what do you do? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm part of a global enterprise. We have outlets all over the world. We're nearly in every country. There's hardly a city you can go where you won't find our enterprise, and they're like, wow. Tell me more. 
Well, what do you do? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's amazing what we do. We, we care for, for people in, in, in local communities. We, we love on people. We love youth. We, we love kids. We tackle themes like, like marriage and, and, and family. Oh, that, that's really good. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. We not only care about, you know, the spiritual needs of, of people and, and relationships, but we care about their physical needs as well. I mean, we've got homeless shelters. We've got schools. We've got hospitals all over the world. And they're like, this is blowing my mind. You, you, what is the name of this enterprise? Well, I'm really glad you asked me. It's called the church. And I'm honored to be a part of it. And so here we have God kind of introducing himself. Hey, trust me, I made heaven and earth. The sea and all that is in them. I keep faith forever. I'm all-knowing, all-powerful God. What do you do, God? Well, this is how I choose to wield my power in the world. I execute justice for the oppressed. I give food to the hungry. I set the prisoners free. I open the eyes of the blind. I lift up those who are bowed down. I love the righteous. I, I watch over the sojourner. I uphold the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked I bring to ruin. Nice to meet you. And you know, traveling all over the world, uh, I just got back from Zambia two days ago, so I'm a little discombobulated this morning, and it's one of the reasons I'm emotional. I'm just jet-lagged, okay? So if I cry, it's because I'm jet-lagged, not because I'm an emotional person. <laughs> and I'm like, God, if this is who you are, I mean, if this is really who you are, you're bold with it. You execute justice for the oppressed. You love the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. Then How? How do you defend them? How do you execute this justice you talk about? And I wish I, I, I had the time just to go line by line and give you scriptural story after scriptural story of how God executes who he is to these people groups. But I want to share one tangible passage. And then I want to share some human stories, some real stories of people courageous enough to stand with the vulnerable and show God's heart how it bleeds for the oppressed and the poor. One tangible way that God feeds the hungry is in Matthew. You've probably never heard this story before, but it goes like this, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You feed them. Give them something to eat. They said to him, eh, we have only five loaves here and two fish. False. Actually, they would have said, we have nothing. We have nothing. But then they found Five loaves 
and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And it could have been 15, 20,000 people in this mix. And there's a couple things that I want to point out when God says he provides food for the hungry. My question is, how do you provide food for the hungry We see it in the scripture that it wasn't actually Jesus who fed the 5,000, even though that's the title of this passage. He looked at his disciples and he says, you feed them. I do this all the time. I'm like, God, you should do something about this situation. And he goes, you're right. You really should do something about this situation. You know what I'm saying? And what's more, you mean to tell me that out of 20,000 people, one young boy, according to the Gospel of John, when he communicates this story, one boy, one boy thought, hmm, I'm going out to a desolate place today. I should probably bring a lunch in case I get hungry. One. And so when Jesus tells his disciples to feed them, they didn't even actually have anything. But they found the answer, the solution, with a young boy with five loaves and two fish. You see, oftentimes we get in a place where we feel like I want to get involved. I want to be a part of God feeding the hungry and executing justice and caring for the orphan and the widow, but I don't have anything. And what's amazing is that sometimes the beginning of the solution is in the very hands of the vulnerable that God says, bring me what they have and watch me perform a miracle. And so he said, bring me the five loaves and the two fish. And he blessed it. And did he distribute it to the people? No, he says, thanks guys, now feed them like I told you before. He gives it back to his church. Bring me what you have. Let me do the math. Let me work the miracle. And then he gives it back. And he says, go feed my people. I love what Christopher Wright says in his book, The Mission of God, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Amen? Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. So when we ask the question or we tell God, what am I supposed to do? You should really do something. He says, I've already told you how my heart beats. Read the scripture. But that's why I made you. That's why I established my church to fulfill my mission, to execute my justice for the oppressed, to defend the cause of the widow and the orphan, to set the prisoner free through you, my body, 
Give me what you have, even if it's nothing. Let me do the math, and then go do the work. We support some ministries all over the world who are standing with the vulnerable. And you know, often I'm convicted because my excuses are a little, can be a little bit petty when God asks me to step in, to stand out, to inconvenience myself a little bit when there's another person in need. Have you ever felt that way? You're like, oh, the vulnerable, the poor, oh, they're so needy. And I, it's difficult. And I'm inspired and, and convicted by people who stand with the vulnerable at the expense of their lives, at the expense of their family where they live. And there's a ministry that we support called Cross-Cultural Connections. And they have a presence in the lobby today. And what they do is they, uh, they train, they equip, and they empower really courageous people to plant churches in very, very extreme and difficult places. And so I want to read a story from Cross-Cultural Connections that they've provided to show how does God love the foreigner. We've seen a tangible example on how he feeds the poor, but how does God love the foreigner? Well, I'm going to read this story because it's so beautifully written, and it's, it's written in a way that protects the people that I'm reading about. So Amit and Suna moved to a border city when the first wave of refugees fled Syria in 2014. Trained and experienced in this field, they went with two small children and began coordinating the nationwide response of the church to the needs. In spite of being in the minority, the national churches gave so substantially that the governments began to realize that there were tangible solutions being offered. Hmm. Ahmet and Suna chose to live as close to the refugees as possible and be in their lives daily, listening, loving, praying. They and their children soon added the local dialect to three languages they already spoke. About 1.5 years into their daily service, Suna was walking home slowly with groceries. She took her time as they were expecting twins. Suddenly, several teens appeared with rocks and began stoning her. Isolated, she collapsed after receiving repeated blows. It was a miracle that Ahmet thought to go looking for her and found her. She had been left for dead. After rushing her to receive medical help, they were able to save her life, but not before she miscarried the babies. The church rallied around them and brought them to a larger city with better medical care and helped care for the children while they rested and soon recovered. The team met and offered them to move to another city. After all, there were refugees everywhere now, but Suna and Ahmet prayed and felt that they wanted to return. They were the first Christians these people had ever met. After some rest, they did their intentional return, and their choice to forgive these teens made an impression on the local community of refugees. 
Most people in this situation retaliate with revenge. They simply kept loving. As a result, the local church has grown, which is significant in a country where the church is 0.034% of the population. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Why would anybody do that? Because they're inspired and compelled with the love of God in them. And even in the face of persecution, they still stand with the vulnerable. What a witness, what a testimony to who God is as we read about him in the scriptures. So they're standing with the vulnerable even when they're persecuted. Well, I've been kind of an emotional basket case all morning, and again, I'm just blaming it on the jet lag. It's inspiring um, to capture God's heart for the vulnerable, to know that he stands with the vulnerable, and then to see people in the face of persecution keep doing it, and then see people loving their enemies and keep doing it. And so my question for you is this really simple this morning, um, here in West Michigan, in Holland, in our backyard, there are vulnerable people. There are widows, there are orphans, there is poverty. And so my question for you is, what about you? What about you? What about me? What is God asking me to do? What steps is he asking me to take to reflect his heart? For the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner, and for the poor, here and now.